Good morning. Thank you for joining us today. Here's what's happening at Gateway Community Church. The holiday season may be over, but we still have one more gift for you. Right Now Media gives you access to free Bible studies and video content for you, your family, and even your small group. Go online and create your account today. Deeper Weekend for Students is coming up soon. This in-town weekend retreat is a time for them to go deeper in their faith. Sign your students up now and let us know if you'd like to host a group in your home. We are currently gearing up for our upcoming church-wide experience, MOVE, Study and James Together. Listen closely because this is very important. Join a MOVE group. Starting on January 28th, we will be starting a six-week series on the book of James. It is important that you join a MOVE group in order to follow along in the study. MOVE group signups begin on January 21st. Go to the Next Steps area or go online to join a group. If you are interested in hosting a MOVE group, orientation dates are on January 14th and January 21st. We are excited to see what God has in store for us in the study of James. Some final dates to keep on your radar is Super Bowl Sunday on February 4th and a night of worship with baptisms on February 9th. Those are perfect days to invite a friend, so mark your calendars and we hope to see you there. Stay up to date with the latest news in your bulletin or visit our website at gateway-community.org. Thank you for being here and welcome to your journey. Well, again, good morning on this uh, Super Bowl Sunday weekend. We're glad you're here. Uh, we've uh, had our students in, in doing an in-town retreat called Deeper, and we've been praying for them. I hope you will continue praying for them as they wrap that up this morning, that God would really work powerfully in the lives of, of our students. And it's really interesting as we look at the Super Bowl, one of the things that uh, I, I read this week, and I don't know if, if some of you have heard this, but, but um, Nick Foles, the quarterback, the backup quarterback who will be starting for the Philadelphia Eagles today, uh, feels, feels called to ministry and in fact wants to do ministry with students. And uh, it's really cool. And they have a, uh, a regular Bible study and some other things that go on there. And, and I just thought that's, that's really what a great role model and what a great thing to, to look at. Because <laughs> honestly, they're going to have their hands full. And I'm not taking sides. I'm not, I'm not getting out there. But uh, Tom Brady is one of the uh, greatest quarterbacks of all time. And um, I, I looked up some of his stats and in his 18 years, he's thrown 66,159 yards. That's fourth on the all-time record. 63.9 completion rate. He's thrown 488 touchdowns. That's third on the record list. 160 interceptions, which is tied for 53rd, which shows how accurate he is. And he has led 42 fourth-quarter comebacks. That's the second highest. Uh, he has the most Super Bowl starts, seven, and the most Super Bowl wins of any quarterback, five. But one of the most unique stats is that he has thrown touchdown passes to 68 different players, second only to Vinny Testaverde's 70. And 50 of the 68 players have six or fewer touchdowns. In other words, part of Tom's success was that he didn't play favorites or discriminate, but through touchdowns to lots of different players. Now, why do I tell you that? Well, partly because it's Super Bowl Sunday, and, and Brady's going to be starting his eighth Super Bowl, playing for his sixth 
six of victory, and both of those are obviously records. But, but the fact he wasn't limited to a handful of receivers, that he didn't discriminate who he threw to, has a bit of a connection to our passage today as we continue in our study of the book of James that we're calling Move. And it's definitely not too late, as you saw on the video, to join a Move group to get the journal that is still available out in the lobby uh, and to jump in and and pick up with the readings. They've been really good, uh, uh, really, uh, as I've read this week, it's really called me to reflect and look into some of the things, and the cool thing is that you, members of our Gateway family, wrote the reflections, wrote the, the devotionals, and so it's been really, to me, it's been a very powerful experience already. Um, so, uh, let me invite you to go ahead and open your Bibles to James chapter 2, or if you don't have your Bible, physical Bible, you use the online, use the Version Bible app, or if neither of those, you can pull out the notes that are in your bulletin and use that this morning. And as you're opening to that spot, let me remind you that a constant theme of James is summed up in chapter 1, verse 22, which is going to be our memory verse for this coming week. It says, do not merely listen to the word. And so deceive yourselves, do what it says. In other words, for James, faith isn't real unless it's lived, unless it takes action. His whole letter is about how to make our Christian faith real and relevant. It's not something we put up on the shelf. It's not something that we just hear about on Sunday mornings. It's intended to impact and affect our daily living. In James 2.1, he writes, My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Now James, the half-brother of Jesus, is writing to Jewish Christians, many of whom have been forced out of Jerusalem after Christians started to be persecuted. And as we read through James, it appears he has a, a particular concern for outcasts, those on the fringe. And in this case, often because they're poor. To set this up, In the last two verses of chapter 1, James writes about true religion. Now, the word religion today has gotten a kind of a negative take on it because it's often used to refer to rites of faith, often with little or no inner conviction. But as James is using this word, he's using it in what I would call the generic or the more historic understanding of that, in that he's referring to a true life of faith. That when he's talking about religion, he's not simply talking about going through the motions, he is talking about genuine faith. So as you read that word, don't don't color it with the way youth might think of that word today, but think of it as how he means it. And so he writes in verses 26 and 27 of chapter 1, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself, and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by this world. So James points to three marks of true and acceptable religion, of true and acceptable Christian faith. He says controlling what we say is a a mark of a transformed heart. And we'll be talking about that more specifically next week. He also says true Christians care about those who are marginalized in our world. And third, he says, try not to get caught up then in the fallen world system. He's calling Christian believers to be holy, to live as citizens of the kingdom of God, 
which means to be unlike the typical standards of our world today and in his day. And then in chapter 2, where we come to where we're jumping in today, he warns that favoritism is in fact a typical practice of this world, of this worldly system versus the kingdom of God. And it was a problem in the church back then, and it continues to be a problem in the church today. He gives a hypothetical example of this in churches, in, beginning in verse 2. He says, suppose a man comes into your meeting, your worship service, wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. And a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or, or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Even though James seems to be speaking hypothetically, he says at the beginning of the, to suppose it's very likely that this was a real concern. Churches were showing favoritism to the wealthy over the poor, and yet he wants to make it clear that faith and favoritism are incompatible. They don't go together. And that stance is found all through the Bible. You look in the New Testament, Romans 2.11, for our God does not show favoritism. Same is found in the Old Testament, Leviticus 19, 15. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the, the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. In, in fact, it's kind of interesting. James apparently had Leviticus 19 in his mind. Some of us are saying, Leviticus, why would I ever? That's the one chapter of the one book of the Bible I may never read. But here, precisely, James is working out of Leviticus and showing how important it is as he's writing his letter. And in both um, Old and New Testaments of the Bible, we often see God's special concern for the, for the care and well-being of the poor. Sin all too often leads those with means to take advantage of the poor, he says. And so God shows special concern for those who are on the margins. He writes, James writes in verse 5, Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world? to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him. But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are, not, are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? James is once again pointing to what are, are likely real issues, real things going on in churches of the wealthy looking down on the poor, of them exploiting them because of their limited means, of even dragging them into court to take advantage of them to, because they can't afford an attorney or they can't fight back to, to take advantage of them instead of looking out for them. He says these selfish actions are slandering the noble name of Jesus because these rich persons claim to be followers also of Jesus. Now, let me be clear. The Bible is not against wealth. But in addition to the potential for abusing the poor, God recognizes that there are very real temptations that can lead those with means. Not just the wealthy, but those just with normal average means to become self-reliant and to forget all God has done. Moses warned the, the Hebrews as they were about to go into the promised land, as they were about to go into a land flowing with milk and honey, to a land where there were cities already and, and where they would become 
after 40 years in the wilderness of having virtually nothing, they would have so much. He warns them in Deuteronomy 8, he says, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. In other words, in all of your goodness, all the good things you have, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You may say to yourself, my power and and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. You see, now the the poor can't afford to become proud and forget the Lord your God because their poverty forces many of them to reach out to God and depend on him in, in ways that many who have means overlook because they often have nothing else. They have come quicker to the end of their rope, if you will. And there's this greater likelihood for them to be dependent on God to lead them into being rich in faith. And God's promise is that this life isn't all that there is. And they can count on inheriting God's kingdom even if they don't experience all the goodness and the things of of this world here. Jesus applauded the faith and generosity of, of the poor. In fact, he called attention to it. In Luke 21, it says, as he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he said. This poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. One reason tithing... And tithing just isn't giving. It's giving 10% of of our income. It's so valuable for growing faith. It's because it is an intentional act of reliance on God. Especially for those who are not living in poverty and may have unknowingly been tempted to self-reliance because the values of this world encourage it and do not align with God's. In fact, the tithe is not the upper limit. For the Bible talks about gifts over and above the tithe for those who have the means as a way of keeping one's focus on on God, on his provision, as well as ministering to those around them. At the same time, James is not lifting up poverty as a virtue in and of itself, but he's affirming that the poor Christian is just as much a part of God's kingdom as the person of means, and so they share the privileges of that commitment. And so James cautions his readers not to show favoritism. And he sets this concern in a broader context, in the context of love. Verse 8, he says, If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. In other words, the greater principle at work here, even more than a legitimate concern for the poor, is loving our neighbor, which includes the poor, but really is about all people. It's not limited to the poor because it applies to any time we make a distinction about someone 
who is different from us, and we mistreat them. They look different. They, they have more weight or less weight. They, they act different. They don't seem to fit into our class at school or into our organization or are at work. They live in a particular part of town or have a particular kind of job. They belong to a different political party. They're older than us, and so we don't think they understand. They're younger than us, and so we don't think they understand. They're either from a different part of the country or from a completely different country. Favoritism and discrimination take so many forms yet racism is a particularly vile form. It looks down on someone because they are from a different race than we are. And, and, and too often, if we have been polluted by the world, as James says, if we've been so ingrained in the world's values, we may not even know what we've been doing. I grew up in Louisiana before some of you were born. <laughs> Just as the civil rights movement was beginning to have some effect. But I, to be honest with you, I was really insulated. I grew up in an all-white neighborhood. I, I grew up with only white kids going to my elementary school, to my church. And it wasn't that I, I had any animosity or saw any problems with in, in Louisiana at that time. It was, it was pe- black people. But it was, it was so much a part of everything and all that I'd grown up with that it, it had influenced me in ways I didn't even realize. There, there was, I look back and I can see there was this inherent class difference between whites and blacks. And, and, and I was so immersed in it, so polluted by the world that I lived in, that I didn't even see it at the time. I didn't feel like I held any animosity toward blacks, but the truth was I didn't understand that we're all equally loved in God's sight. And, and the racism and cruelty that they had experienced for hundreds of years in this country gave them a place particularly close to the heart of God. Because God is always on the side of the down and out and disadvantaged and mistreated. And I I will confess to you, I sinned. Even when I did not realize it. And I have repented of that and I continue to repent. Because the very fact that I am a white male in this country today has put me in places of privilege that I probably will never fully realize. It's, it's so much a part of me that I'm blind to it, at least to some degree. I don't think I'm as blind as I was. But to understand what some of you women go through in the workplace, you know, the, the big stuff about all the, the sexual harassment that's in our culture, and the idea that it, it was somehow okay. And there are a lot of boys who grew up in a culture where that was the norm. And they didn't know it was any different. And we have to tell them it is. It's wrong. The answer for me and for all of us is what James calls the royal law, which wasn't original with Jesus, actually. We know it as a part of the the great commandment to love God and love our neighbor. But in fact... 
It is, a, it is a quote from several places in the Bible, including Leviticus 19, in the passage I referenced earlier. In Leviticus 19, 18, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. And then God kind of punctuates it by saying, I am the Lord. Amen. Amen. Jesus specifically demonstrated this law. When he told the parable of the Good Samaritan, when he showed that love looked out for someone of a different ethnicity who was, in fact, generally considered an enemy. Jesus shows us that the standard of the kingdom of God as opposed to the kingdom of this world is love. What the Bible would call agape love, which means to choose to accept someone for who they are and work sacrificially for their good. Folks, God delights in diversity. I mean, we see it in every corner of his creation, including his people. He loves us all, and he seeks to lead us to do likewise. And diversity isn't limited simply to outward visible characteristics, because if we're honest, if we look around us, every single one of us is unique. The the scripture testifies that we are all unique. We are all different, unlike any other human being that has ever lived. There is no one else that has exactly your DNA and your life. We have all been created in the image of God and loved by him. And in our best moments, we recognize this and we live it. But there are a thousand ways that you and I have the potential to discriminate and show favoritism. And we need to hear this morning that the Bible says, God says, that is sin. That is sin. And as sin... James reminds us that we will be judged for that. Verse 12, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now that that phrase, the law that gives freedom, may sound to some of you like an oxymoron, you know? But James is talking about the law as understood through Jesus Christ. In other words, The words and truth of Christ free us from slavery, from sin in this world, which is why James tells us to focus on it. Back in chapter 1, verse 25, he said, the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. James says, the perfect law gives freedom freedom because it teaches us, it shows us how to avoid the addictive nature of sin and live in a manner that is pleasing to Christ himself. When we seek to obey with the leading and guidance and power of the Holy Spirit living in us, James says we will be blessed. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. And in obeying, in loving our neighbors, and offering mercy over judgment, we receive mercy and blessings. If we don't obey and don't love and instead show favoritism, we will be judged and held accountable for every action and word. Jesus said, I tell you on the day of judgment, People will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. What Jesus says is obviously in line with James. James was 
Jesus' half-brother. He heard these things. He knew these things. And, and one of the things that struck me about it is it ought to give us pause when we're using social media. Because too often, the feelings of anonymity that in, inhabit social media lead some people to say mean things, to say hateful things, versus entering into legitimate conversations. It's one thing to engage someone, to talk with them, to express differences of opinions, but when you're a troll and you're, you're hurling bombs and you're demeaning someone, then we come under the warning of this scripture. When someone writes mean, cruel, and insensitive things on social media, not only are they hurting others created and in God's image, but they will ultimately have to give account to God for every careless word. Rather, you and I, who choose to follow Jesus Christ, should be agents of his love and grace in all of our conversations and actions. In Romans 2, Paul writes, God will judge everyone according to what they've done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. In other words, for everyone. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. Let me tell you, here at Gateway, I want us to be a church that represents our community in, in, in the fullest sense, with all of its diversity, and yet not give in to the ways of the world and show favoritism. I want us to be a... a, a, a to be used by God to keep the royal law by intentionally, actively loving our neighbors, to, to love all, not those who are like us, not those that it's convenient or easy, because it's the natural and expected way that the follower of Jesus Christ puts faith into action to live out being a disciple for Christ. We offer opportunities for you to volunteer every week to love not only your existing church neighbors, but also to walk, love on those who walk through our doors for the first time, often looking to be loved and accepted, hoping that there is a place where somehow they can be accepted, no matter how they look no matter how, where they're from, no matter what language they speak, no matter how much they have or don't have. We help with Generation One in the Third Ward, with the homeless, including the Mercy Tree right here in Clear Lake, as well as mission trips to Mexico, Haiti, India, and Kenya to help and love on our neighbors who are struggling. We're a founding member of the 4B Disaster Response Network that is partnering with Eight Days of Hope to launch an amazing two-week blitz in mid-March, and we put information on our website about it, to help hundreds of homeowners recover from Hurricane Harvey. And we'll wrap up this, this campaign called MOVE with a day that we did for the first time last year called All Out Serve, encouraging you to go and, and be used by God to love our neighbors as the hands, the feet, the voice of Jesus Christ. Again, all of that, if you want to learn more about it, you can find it on our Find It page on our website. 
I want us to be a church. I want each one of us to be individuals seeking to be disciples of Jesus Christ so that we do not allow favoritism, discrimination to rule, as it so often does in our world today. It's so much a part of the fabric of our world, but where we genuinely seek to love all, every single person, everyone is made in the image of God. Those, those people sometimes that bug you, those people who don't believe, you know what? They're also created in the image of God. They just don't know it yet. And if we dismiss them or put them down, they're never going to know it. But if we love them, even when they don't deserve it, even when they don't act like it, we show them something about our God and something about what our God can do in us. If our God can do that in a boy from Louisiana, and not that I'm there or I've got it all wired, I still got a ways to go, but he can do that in any of us. Favoritism, discrimination is a part of the sinful human condition. It's something every one of us battles in some setting, in some way. But the good news is God can help us overcome it. And our scripture memory verse is so valuable for this coming week. James 1.22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Here, let's say that together. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. That's the challenge for you and me. Not to talk a good game. Not to say, I believe I should. But to do. To trust Christ and do. And if that's a struggle, and, and, and that's the, th- the beauty about the church, is that we're not a hotel for saints, we're a hospital for sinners. We are a place where some of us struggle with various kinds of discriminatory beliefs. We maybe grew up with them, maybe we've been hurt somewhere, but our contention, our belief, our faith is that God can change our hearts. And that's why we have a prayer team that's down here that would love to talk to you and pray over you. In just a moment, communion's going to be celebrated down in the Life Center. Robert Sherrill's going to be leading that. And, and one of the most beautiful pictures to me about communion is that it is a, a foretaste of when God's people gather together at his heavenly banquet table. And he's not going to say, are you the right color? Or did you come from the right country? Or did, or did, did you do this? Or did you do that? All who have been created in his image, who have given their life to Jesus Christ, will be there. We will be in unity together. And so when you participate in communion today, it really is a foretaste of where God is leading us. So we encourage you, if you're comfortable doing that, to do so. Don't forget to be a part of MOVE. If you haven't signed up, it's still not too late. And and you can talk to people out in our Next Steps area. If you're a guest today, I'm going to be out here with some friends, and we'd love to say hello to you. 
So please come on by. Would you join me as we ask God to help us and close in prayer? Gracious God, every single one of us as human beings created in your image is also affected by sin. Every single one of us battles sometimes to play favorites, discriminates against others for all kinds of different reasons in all kinds of different ways. And we know, Father, that will be a battle until you return and we meet Jesus face to face. But we know that through your power, we are able to love better than we have, to love all and not just those who are like us, not just those where it's convenient. And I pray, Father, you will help us do that. Help us to step, in fact, over barriers that we maybe grew up with or have become a part of our lives to love and care for those around us, especially if they're different, especially if we have had a, a, a dark place in our heart that has looked on them as less than what, the way you see them. Help us, Father. We need your help. We want your help. We want to be your church. We want to represent that community of diversity and, and, and beauty as you first created us. We pray that by your power, through your spirit, we can love all. We ask this, we pray for this in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless y'all. See you next week. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.